weeks, if you caught Pastor Cecil's announcement, in just two weeks, on Sunday morning, we're not going to be showing up here uh, anymore. So if you show up here, then I'm sorry for you, but uh, we're going to be at our new building in two weeks. We will not be here. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Man, you guys needed two extra hours of sleep, I think. Um, Lord willing, uh, we'll have a temporary certificate of occupancy this week, um, and then we will start the move-in process, not being quite ready for a service next week because there is a whole new audio-visual system we have got to figure out, and it may not all be installed either. Uh, But by the next week, uh, however they say, rain or shine, we'll be in there uh, on the 19th to, to do that. Um, so we're pretty excited about that. Um, you know what? When we go into there, I want to just share a couple things with you that uh, you may remember from uh, some emails. Uh, and that is that for the first week, we're just going to all be together in that sanctuary. But after that, um, second or third week, maybe start of December, our staff is still figuring out the right timetable. Uh, we'll be going to our two-service uh, model uh, there. Um, we're projecting not only um, the, those of you who call Windover Hills Church home— Uh, being there, but uh, we're expecting you're going to be rolling in some new friends, plus people that have just been driving up and down the street that now see it's open will be there as well, and so there'll be a need for that. It increases our need for volunteers as well, and over the last few days, I'm so excited because I mean, like, we had four people in the last day sign up to volunteer in different capacities, greeting and teaching down the hall, um, just in the last two days, our last 24 hours or so. And so uh, we need a lot more volunteer help. Really, our philosophy is, if this is your church home, find a place to volunteer somewhere. Plug in somewhere to volunteer. And so I want you to use this card this morning to communicate. I'm going to give you the three greatest areas of need. They may fit for you, or maybe there's another area. If you have a question mark, if we have something, just ask it on this card. Children's ministry is the biggest area of need, needing people to serve down the hall. And we're asking people to serve uh, at least once a month. Now, we'll be in a model down the hall, uh, excuse me, at the new building where we'll have first service, second service. You can serve in the first service and be able to go to second service. You never have to miss church uh, to serve in the kids' ministry, and we've not been able to do that the last four years. And so we want to encourage you uh, in that area uh, as well. Kids' workers are a big one. And if you ever think, I don't know if kids' working is for me, just talk to Jim Bethune, because he's going on about eight years of it, and he would have said the same thing that you had said. I don't know if kids are for me. And he's doing a fabulous job for the last eight years serving. Many of your kids have come up while Jim has been down there. They've, they've come through. So it's uh, pretty amazing. So you use this. The second area is greeters. And that means just greeting people at the door. Um, and also uh, the area of helping follow up on new people. Follow up and make connections. Uh, just about every visitor expects they might get a call from the pastor. For some of them, they love that. For some of them, it makes them really nervous. Um, but to have a call or connection from somebody in the congregation is powerful. Um, so uh, we'd love for you in those three areas to say, yeah, I'll step up and I'll serve. And so, look, I mean, to go home this morning and to have a stack of cards of people that said, yeah, I'll serve here or there in those areas would be outstanding. So use that card if you would for us. You can drop in the offering at the end. All right? Sound good? All right, good. All right, so uh, next week's our last Sunday in here. Uh, we're going to, uh, we have a couple special things we'd like to do in service next week just to kind of celebrate those who have, have made being in here a huge uh, blessing and possibility for us. So that'll be next week. Um, and then uh, we've got a little bit of actually post-service work to do in here uh, that's not part of normal teardown, such as taking down our lighting and things like that. Um, 
And then we are on to uh, our new location. So next week will be a big Sunday, I think a celebration Sunday, and, uh, um, and a blessing too. I'm going to put an email out for something I want you to do as part of the transition out of this building. Away. Just a small area, won't take you five minutes, that can be a blessing to the school. So if you'd read that email this week, I'll explain it all uh, to you. Sound good? All right, great. So let's look at John chapter 4. We're going to get into this passage where Jesus is actually talking with a woman at the well. Now, in our context, in our culture today, we would read this passage and we'd be like, eh, you know, no big deal. Let's get right to the spiritual component of this passage, which is very, very significant, the spiritual component. We're going to talk about that next week, though, okay? So just hang on. We will get to the, the dynamic spiritual connection. Jesus is speaking to this woman And I think he's equally speaking it to us as well. But this week, I want to talk through the context and the the importance and the mission of Jesus actually shows up uh, in this passage. So we're going to two-part it this week and next week. So John chapter 4, let's just jump right in it and we'll read a few verses and and I'll uh, tell you what we're talking about here. John chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize, his disciples did. Now, it's like today, sometimes you say, you know, like I go to a doctor and so-and-so. But you may not actually see the doctor um, that day. Uh, this is how it was. It was always ascribed to the rabbi if they were baptizing or doing things. So it was ascribed to Jesus even though he wasn't the actual one doing the baptizing. Um, his disciples did. So uh, verse 3, so he left Judea and returned to Galilee. That sets up the whole reason why this encounter happens. If you're like me, I've read that section of scripture many, many times. I just blow right past it, right? It's just, okay, he was there and now he's leaving there. That's why. Okay, big deal. But it was actually interesting here, that word left. So he left. It, it's the only time this word shows up in all of the Bible. This version, and obviously the word left shows up many times. But this form, it's the only time it shows up, and it actually means he left them to their own devices. He left them to do what they were doing. So Jesus here is showing this extreme value in his disciples in their ministry, and he says, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to let them continue doing the work of the kingdom. You know, so Jesus is already starting to say, I'm building into these guys, and now I can kind of let them do it as well. Uh, a significant uh, thing that, that's happening here. We also find that there uh, very well might have been a little bit of competition. We don't get it all in this passage, but we hear earlier, we read this little passage about John's disciples wondering, well, should we stay with John or should we go with Jesus? Later on, we're actually going to find Jesus's disciples. They start to argue with one another or bicker one another saying, who's the greatest? You know, who's doing the greatest work here? So in their humanness, it's very easy for them to start to compare and it's it, it very possibly here that Jesus is now surpassing John in the number of baptisms. Um, have you ever thought, uh, when people ask you, well, how big is your church? Oh, we go about 165. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, we go about 500 at our church. Um, have you ever just, that's like a little bit of a dagger you felt when that? Or you, or you, you felt like subtly we compare one another with maybe the size of church or what we're doing or those type of things. Jesus had no place for that at any point here. It's very possible that Jesus said, this is not the time to get into that. This is certainly not what I want to build into at all. So he says, you know, I'm going to leave my disciples to keep doing what they're doing, and I'm going to move on. We also heard that the Pharisees had heard about this. 
And the Pharisees were getting very jealous of Jesus' popularity in his ministry. In fact, we just find that John the Baptist was actually arrested for what he was doing in ministry. And now Jesus is surpassing him. So it's very possible Jesus said, it's just time to, to, to move on. Because, you know, my time to go to the cross is not yet. And so Jesus left and he went on uh, to Galilee here. So uh, that's the context. That's what sets it up. If you wanted to go from where Jesus was in Judea and you wanted to go to Galilee, it was about a three-day straight route, right? Straight journey. So if you want to get in the car and you want to drive to Atlanta right now and you want to get on the 85 and go to Atlanta, that's about, what, five hours roughly to go straight there. Um, but there was another route. It was a, a six-day route. It didn't go straight, it went to the left, almost to the coast, and it went all the way up the coast. Then it turned and cut all the way back in inland to where Galilee was located. It would take you six days. Three days if you wanted a direct route to go straight. Six days if you wanted to go this roundabout route. And we find that Jewish people almost always took the six-day route. Almost always. So if you were to say, like, hey, we're heading to Atlanta, i go, oh, okay, good. Um, and you said, we're going to head over to Nashville, and then we're going to turn down. Oh, do you have family in Nashville or anything? No, we're just, we're just going to take that route. Um, you could do that, and I'm sure there's a lot of pretty things to see uh, along the way, but it would certainly be a much longer trip to get to Atlanta. Why would they take a six-day trip when a three-day trip was available? Well, there was an animosity. There was, I think it's stronger, there was a hatred between the Jewish people and the Samaritans hated each other. And so much so that a Jewish person said, I don't even want to go through Samaria. In fact, the Pharisees had actually started to write in, this is not, doesn't come from the law, but they had actually started to write in that if you went through Samaria, you actually had to go through the purification rituals because you were deemed unclean if you went through Samaria and you had contacts with Samaritans. You were deemed unclean. I mean, this is what they thought of one another. Can you understand a little, if that's what they thought of one another, how powerful it was that Jesus said, who is my neighbor? Well, let me tell you a little story. There was somebody who was beat up on the road. They were left for dead. Two Jewish religious leaders came by, didn't pay him a time of day. And then a Samaritan man came by and stopped and helped him and paid all his bills. That's a powerful story Jesus is telling his people. Well, this uh, animosity, I mean, it went way, way back in history. Let me just set the context in the next five minutes or so here. Uh, This started all the way back in 720 B.C. So way back, the Assyrians, they invade the northern empire, right, of Samaria. They invade the northern empire, and they just, you know, they wipe it out, right? And they take their prisoners, as often they did, they took their prisoners with them down to Assyria. They couldn't take everybody, so they left a remnant back in Samaria, they would eventually grow and become this nation of uh, Samaria. And as they were left, the Assyrians did the same thing in a lot of other regions, and they started to scatter people all over. And we find that these Samaritans, or these Jewish people up in Samaria, they started to intermarry with other, other cultures and, and mainly other faiths. And so they had this, this interconnection. The problem was not necessarily marrying other cultures as today. If you were like, you know, um, I'm one nationality and I can't marry another nationality. God's against that. That's really not what was going on. It was the intermarrying of religions that was the big deal for God. And so it was these Jewish people 
intermarrying with these pagan religions, a religion that worshipped the only God, marrying into a religion that might have had many gods or worshipped some idol or those type of things. That's what started happening. And these people actually lost their rights to be called Jewish people, these Samaritans. So this was a big deal. Now, way down in the southern kingdom, there was the same thing happened. It was conquered by Nebuchadnezzar. Remember that name in the Bible? If you ever remember Nebuchadnezzar, you know, remember the three guys thrown into the fiery furnace? You know, that was Nebuchadnezzar's reign was going on there. And so he conquers the southern kingdom, and he takes them into captivity as well. Same thing. These Jews, though, however, we find in God's word, they do not intermarry. They retain their kind of Jewish religious culture. And so now you have these two different groups of Jewish folks, at least in the lineage, some that have intermarried with other religions and, and some that have said, we're not, we're not going to do that in the northern and the southern kingdom. So 70 years later, flash forward, uh, it comes time for the rebuilding of the wall, the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. Do you remember this story? Nehemiah actually goes, and he is the one that is, has the burden on his heart to go and rebuild the wall and eventually rebuild uh, the temple uh, as well. And while they were there rebuilding the temple, some of these Samaritans had come down because they were coming from all over to help rebuild. And some of these Samaritans had come down and said, we want to help rebuild the temple at Jerusalem. And guess what happened? They were turned away. They were told no. They were called half-breeds because they had married into other religions. They were called non-Jews by those in the southern kingdom rebuilding the temple. And they weren't allowed to help rebuild the temple. In fact, it was said in Scripture that they weren't even allowed to, to worship at that temple once it was built. And the battle began. And as you could imagine, this is what happened. So, uh, furthermore, uh, if you remember the three bad guys in the story of Nehemiah, one of them was Sambalat. Do you remember that? And those were like the bad guys coming against Nehemiah. Well, his daughter actually went and married uh, an Israelite official. And they were so ticked about not being able to work on the kingdom or on the, on the temple, they went— to Mount Gerizim, or Gerizim, out in Samaria, and they just said, we're going to build our own temple. And that's what they did. And now there was two places of worship. God had said, I want one place of worship. He gave very specific instructions, and now there was two. And so it didn't take long before the Jewish people worshiped God in Jerusalem and the Samaritans on this mountain in Samaria, and they couldn't stand each other. In fact, it wasn't long after that, during the time of the Maccabees, if you remember that from your history classes at all, that a Jewish general actually went to Mount Gerizim and he burned the temple to the ground because of just religious spite. Twenty years before the time of Jesus, some Samaritans came into the temple in Jerusalem and they scattered dead men's bones all over the temple, making everything unclean. That is the riff that was going on, and this just continued. This is 20 years before the time of Christ. I mean, while Jesus was, was, when he was born and as he was being raised, he knew about this, this type of animosity. And yet verse 4 says this. He, Jesus, had to go through Samaria on the way. 
the scripture actually tells us Jesus had to go. Now, I just told you he didn't have to go, right? Three-day route, six-day route. He could go the six-day route if he wanted to go. Why does the scripture tell us he had to go? What's clear here that God had some divine appointment for Jesus. Do you believe in those? Do you believe that God has divine appointments? Where Jesus himself, or God himself, is speaking to you saying, I need you to do this. I need you to go here. In fact, the first thing I want you to remember this morning in this this passage um, is that really doing anything great for God, anything, if you've ever aspired to do something for God, it almost always begins with the word go. Like if you're sitting around, like sitting on your couch, and you're just waiting for like this just divine drop from the sky to empower you, and then you're going to get up and go do something— You're going to be waiting a long time, probably. Because in Scripture, we find all the way from the beginning of Genesis, all the way through, the Genesis talking from Abraham, the story of Abraham, all the way through, God almost always says, hey, just get up and go, and I'll empower you along the way. Just go. And here, we're told Jesus, he had to go. God had something in front of him to go see. I wonder for you this morning if one of the struggles of your spiritual journey, if you feel like you have one, is ignoring the go. Like when God comes to you and he says, man, you know what? I'm I'm ready to do something in and through you. I am ready. I want you to just, I want you to just go. Go do this. You know what? I want you to drop this activity because it's going to clear up schedule for you to go do this. And you've never dropped that. Or maybe you have some habit, some addictiveness, and, and God says, I want to I release that from you. I want you to get rid of that because it's going to open up incredible doors for where I want to send you. Or maybe God is just tugging on you when you're sitting at your desk or your job or something, and like right across the cubicle or hall or whatever your setup is, is how about just, just go strike up a conversation? Maybe just throw a little invite their way. You know, hey, you ever go to church somewhere? I'd love to have you come over and do church and we'll grab lunch afterwards, that that kind of thing. It always begins with the go. I'm amazed how often people that have done incredibly great things for God, they trace it all the way back to some small little thing God asked them to do, and they said yes to it. And then that moved into another and another and down the road. So Jesus goes, uh, verse 4, and eventually it says, verse 5, he came to a Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from his long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Uh, I love this passage because it shows Jesus' humanness. He didn't just kind of float across the ground everywhere he went. He was a real human. He was tired, and he sat down next to this well that we find out. Now, this was Jacob's well. comes back from Genesis 33. If you want to write that down and read about the story on your own, you can do that. And basically, this well, it's seven foot around. It's 150 foot down. It's built through mostly solid rock, so quite a feat for their day to to pull this thing off. Um, Our wells in our yards are, what, just a few inches wide now, and they stick a pipe down it. Um, But this is a significant hole that was built, and this would have given water to uh, the town of Sychar uh, here as well. There's actually two wells, and this was one of them. And if you were going to be any city, if you're going to plant a city, you had to have water, and you had to kind of be formidable so that you wouldn't be overtaken by the enemy. 
And that's what we find. This is, that's why there's a well there. So verse, verse 7, let's, let's look on here. Um, it says there, Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. But he was alone at the time because his disciple had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? So what's going on here? Let me give you an overview uh, of this. Now, it would have just been common for the women to be the ones that went and drew the water. They would take a big pot, and they would draw it and somehow uh, carry it back. Um, and they would do this. Most of the time, it was done the first thing in the morning, so they had water for the day. This passage actually says that this was at noontime that this would happen. That's an odd, strange time for her to go. The other thing is she was alone. That would have been very strange for a woman to go alone to do this. We're going to get into some of the whys of that next Sunday when we walk through uh, how Jesus meets this spiritual need in her life. But clearly it speaks to her being somewhat of an outcast in her society. We're going to find the reasons for that next week. But that's what it is. At noon, this outcast lady, this alienated lady, is out drawing water uh, for the day. And Jesus comes up and speaks to her. Now, I've already told you that there's a problem with Jews wanting to have any interaction with Samaritans. Jesus could have been deemed unclean just going through Samaria. Now he's talking to a woman. What's the big deal on that? Jesus is a rabbi. And you know that rabbis, they actually created these laws where a rabbi was forbidden to speak with women in public. Jesus was a rabbi. Supposedly, he was supposed to follow these rules. In fact, it was so strong that the Pharisees, had, they had this thing called the bruised and bleeding Pharisees. You know what that means? It means they were out in public, these Pharisees, and if they saw a woman, they would, they would like hide their face like this, and they'd keep walking, and they call them bruised and, and bleeding because they would bump and ram into things, <laughs> and would get bruised and they'd be bleeding um, because they would not look at women in public. How crazy is that? But that was some of the rules. That was expected of Jesus here. So Jesus says, look, we're going through Samaria. We're just going through Samaria. That's what we're going to do. I've got a divine appointment. I need to be there. Now here he is as a rabbi speaking to this woman, which was a no-no as well. No dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus is is a, a Jew. Rabbis had no dealings with women. Jesus is a rabbi. And yet he looks. I mean, do you understand what's going on here? I mean, Jesus, uh, he, he pushes the envelope about as much as anyone. He's breaking rules, but not moral rules. There's no immorality going on here. He's breaking these socially created rules that would keep people apart. And not only would they keep people apart, but they would keep people from knowing God as well. And so Jesus here is breaking through. Why? Here's a key point I want you to remember this morning. Jesus is always, he's always about drawing people into a connection with God, no matter who they are. Jesus always is about drawing people into a connection with God. It doesn't matter who they are. If you think somebody in your life that you know is like a church person, you know, and you'll invite them because you think they're a church person, and if they're not, guess what? God has God has no interest in those type of labels. He wants anyone, anywhere. And Jesus is always about drawing people into connection with God. 
Jesus has this divine appointment where he says, I've got to go through Samaria. I have to interact with this woman. Next week we'll walk through the spiritual component that we're, we're kind of abating here. But Jesus has to connect people with God. And guess what? So should we. So should we. Like we should be using immense amount of our energy every week in relationships trying to connect people to God. Helping people understand who God is. Folks, listen, if you're like me, I spend a ton of my time and my effort and my energy in uh, a number of tasks, like getting my kids to their sports, getting my kids to school, picked up from school, um, making sure that uh, I even get caught up on my TV show sometimes, you know, I'm using my effort, my energy, and getting the meals made for the day so that I can have a meal uh, on the table and things, all that kind of stuff every day. And I'm telling you the example of Jesus is to use a dominant amount of our energy and effort to help people have a connection with God. So, so significant. Uneducated fishermen? Yep, we read about it, remember? He called them. How about the hated tax collectors? Remember, we've already read about it in this passage. He called the hated tax collector. How about a Pharisee? Last two weeks, Nicodemus. Yep, he calls them as well. This week, this alienated woman, he goes out of his way, or I should say, he goes out of what's culturally acceptable to connect with this woman. Why? Because he wants to connect these people to God. Our motto here, our focus for the last several years, has been to help one more person find their way back to God. Can I just ask you, if we want to be like Jesus Christ, can I just ask you, how are you doing with that? Like, how are you doing with that focus, that theme, that motto we have? Helping one more person. I mean, is there one person in your life you know God has said, this is the go I'm calling you to, to help this person connect with me? How are you doing with your answer on that? I mean, maybe for you, you, you subtly uh, post some Facebook things every once in a while. You put a Bible verse on your Facebook. Those, those things are great. Um, but I wonder when God is saying, no, I want you through a relationship to go help somebody connect with God. And especially somebody who may be like this woman. Noontime, drawing water, by herself. And God has said, just go connect with that person. I know, I know you may not be like them, um, or maybe they, they are, there's something about them is weird or uncomfortable to connect with you, but go, just go do it. Just go do it. I remember years ago meeting uh, a lady who um, my first thought was, I'm going to be honest, my th- first thought was, well, I don't, know. I don't have any interest in her, or, you know, I mean, I don't have any interest in, like, speaking to her, or, or um, I, I just thought she was kind of mean and rude, you know? But you know what? I found pretty quickly, so did everyone else around me, the same opinion of this person. In fact, they had figured out, because they knew her longer, how to trigger that as well. I hadn't figured that out yet. I was glad to hear it, because I did not want to trigger it. But you know what? Somewhere God had just said to me, you know what, Tom? Why don't you just love her through it? Why don't you just love her through those things that you might want to avoid her about? And, you know, I'd love to say that um, she came to know Jesus, but we're still working on that. Um, but I'm telling you, at least there's one person, and then there's more, who said, you know what, we're just going to see what we can do to help draw her back, 
some connection to God. I wouldn't have done that on my own. That was God's voice. How about you? Who does God have for you? Folks, we're about to make a transition from this school to a building. Uh, And I've said it a few times, but I just want to make sure that I'm almost blue in the face say it. Um, The building is not about our comfort. It's not about our joy. We'll experience all those kind of things. I went and checked out the blue chairs. Did I tell you this? Our, Our former blue chairs we've stored away for four years. I was really nervous about maybe like any type of, you know, moldy smell or <laughs> those. They were phenomenal. I couldn't believe it. The storage unit, I mean, it really came through as advertised um, in there. And so the, the, the chairs are in perfect shape. They're padded. They're bigger than the ones you're sitting in now. Um, they're wonderful. You're going to enjoy them. I could care less because our job is about reaching people for Jesus Christ. And if we moved in a new building and we sat on mats on the floor, we should be able to reach people for Jesus Christ. That's what they were sitting on in the temple, by the way. How are we doing with that? You see, God, in this passage, what he is teaching us culturally is there are these things we make up in our culture, these things that we do. And Jesus says, you might want to stop and evaluate those things to see if those were preventing people from having connection with God. Preventing people. Things like, well, I don't really give to people that are asking for money on the side of the street because I don't know what they're going to go spend it on. Show me a passage in God's word that says, don't give because you're not sure what they'll spend it on. I think I could line up a dozen that say, give. Give to those in need. Let God work on what he wants to work on with that person. There are these things we make up sometimes where Jesus, what he's telling us in this passage is, I'm not just going to subtly step through those. I'm going to blast through those. Can you imagine the shock? We'll read it next week. When Jesus' disciples walked up and saw him in Samaria, a rabbi, talking to a Samaritan woman. But Jesus does it. Why? Because his key thing is always to connect people with God. I want to challenge you, congregation, that every single one of us would be about the same. You've been coming to church a few weeks? Fine. You've been coming for 15 years? Awesome. You're new to the faith? You've been a long-term Christian? Doesn't matter. The mission is the same for all of us. You keep getting close to God yourself, and you keep helping other people make connections with God who otherwise would not. And you know what this building is? It's just a tool for that. That's all it is. You can use your excitement for the building to tell somebody else, why don't you come along? Come be a part of it the first few weeks we're in. It's just a tool that God has given us, he's blessed us with, so that we can help people make connections with God. So if we go in the first week and there's not enough chairs, hey, great problem, right? That's good. That means we're we're, we're seeking to reach people for Jesus Christ. If we jump to two services and uh, we run out of seats in two services, that's, I mean, that's a great problem, right? We'll figure it out from there, you know? I mean, Brian Boer loves playing all day. Four services, Brian? Maybe we should have talked about this in private. <laughs> it would mean we're reaching people for Jesus Christ. That was mean, that's what it would mean. But if we go in a new building, right, this great tool God has given us that we've sacrificed for, and we turn around and we're just looking at the same faces in here, oh, we can keep growing in the Lord. We can keep having a good, blessed time together. The music will still be awesome. But we won't be reaching people and helping people connect with Jesus Christ. And so I want to challenge you and empower you, church, that we would take a passage like this 
and we'd understand Jesus' value in connecting people with his Father. And that we would just simply do the same. Let me pray for you on that end. I want to pray for myself too, because God challenges me all the time in this. So let me pray for us, and, and, then, uh, and then we'll be done. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. I thank you for this first half of this powerful story where you step in and you just kind of blast through these cultural things. And then as you blast in, you do it because you say, um, my value is in sending people on a mission and helping them connect people with my Father. Father, I want to be about that. I want to be about it every day. I want to find those avenues and those opportunities. Lord, I never want to sit and turn to you and say, God, I've just been a little too busy today to help somebody connect with you. I want to be about it every day. Father, I'm asking for you to guide me and show me your opportunities. Help me to be wise and, and help me to be kind and compassionate in how I do it. And I want to pray that on every person sitting in here. Father, I just know you can take a group any size. You did it with just 12 people that Jesus drew to himself, and they changed the world. Father, you can do it with us, and you can help us change our sphere of influence if we would simply listen to the go, and we would connect with people who need to be connected with you. Father, there's never been a greater time for us at Windover Hills to take this as a serious mission. To be not only empowered by you, but be excited through your Holy Spirit to go and draw people to your kingdom. So Father, help us. Give us your passion, your drive, your wisdom, all that we need, Lord, for this. Help us to open up the relationships that you want us to open up to love people, to love them like they haven't been loved. Maybe they've not been loved by Christians this way, and they need to hear that and understand that. So, Father, help us. And, Father, finally, I'll pray for, maybe it's just one person in here, but I want to pray for the person in here that they've never stepped out in faith in this area because it's just, it's scary. And, Lord, that, that specific person, maybe there's many, I want you to give them a special spiritual empowerment, would you? A special load of of confidence to go and to share your word. We thank you for what you're doing. We pray it in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, amen. Well, next week we'll we'll look at the second part, which means you know where we're going. So uh, might as well jump into it and read this week. Let it be part of your own devotion time. Um, and I think that can be powerful for you. So uh, I, I sent out a big email this week that shared all of this building updates. If you have not read that, um, as one person confessed to me this morning, they skimmed it uh, this morning. If you've not read it, read it. Um, and uh, if you're not getting it, if you did not get it, uh, please now put your email address on one of these cards and send it in. Um, because I'm guaranteeing this was information you want to know in the next couple days on the whole transition process from here uh, to there. It uh, would be really, really good. So, all right. Hey, uh, we're going to go up and take our morning offering this morning. So uh, use the envelopes that are on your, um, on your, your chair this morning, or uh, like always, you can use our windoverhills.org website to give online if that's easier for you. Again, the financial information regarding the building is all in that email, so that's an important part to read as well, so you're kind of caught up on where we're at on that. So 
Sound good? All right. Well, why don't you, uh, uh, as, as you're receiving that, why don't you stand? I'll, we'll ask the praise team to send us out. So let's just kind of sing it out loud now, church, as we're, we're headed out here to do God's work. <laughs>